Well, welcome, Harvest. Very, feel very privileged that I'm able to be here with you today, coming from Markham and Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. I'm really thankful for the relationship that I have with Kai and with Pastor Kai and with Pastor Eric and the partnership that we have together in the gospel through the Great Commission Collective, making disciples and planning churches throughout the world. Uh, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it up to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have one, there are ushers coming down the aisles, handing them out. Please get a copy of God's Word in your hand and come to meet me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Today's message is about the importance of living a life that is true to God, and the necessity of pursuing that type of life through prayer. That's what our message is about today. So glad that seeing people are getting Bibles and opening them up to Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, we're going to learn about the uh, importance of living a life that's true to God and the necessity of pursuing that life through prayer. Now, I haven't been a pastor for a long time. We had a transition of leadership in our church this past January. I've been at our church since 2010, but I've only started being the senior preaching pastor this January. And what I've learned throughout being a pastor is that uh, if you want to be able to be faithful to be a teacher of God's word, you need to at least tolerate reading, if not love reading. And I've come to love reading as my job, and my calling is to read God's Word and teach God's Word and read other books that help me learn about God's Word, but it wasn't always that way. When I was in high school, I was more fond of sports and television, and if um, a nice book came out and people were talking about the book, I would say, oh, I'll just wait for the movie. But you know, if you want to get through high school, you need to at least tolerate reading, and I did, and there were books that I had to read like you probably had to read in high school, but there was one book that I exceptionally disliked reading in high school, and that was a book uh, called The Catcher in the Rye. Some of you may know that name. Some of you obviously do dislike that book immensely. Uh, Catcher in the Rye is about this young boy named, uh, what's his name again? Holden, right? Holden Coalfield. It's this coming-of-age book about a young boy who leaves school and goes to the big city. And in the big city, he's trying to figure out what life is. And in the big city, he realizes that a lot of people are phony. And that kind of becomes Holden's catchphrase. Everyone is a phony. This book came out in 1951. And the way I see our Western uh, frame of thinking and our generations progressing, it seems like our cultural sensitivity towards phoniness has only increased and become more acute. Right? When election season comes around, politicians make promises, but we don't expect anyone to keep any of them because we assume they're all phonies, right? Corporations. Corporations have made it a practice now to do charitable work, but doesn't it kind of look like it's just a PR campaign, really, to sell a product? Even Christians. The reputation that Christians and the church have in our culture is not a good reputation. Many of us, many of us, contribute to the way that people look at the church and say they're just phonies. We're sensitive to phoniness and being fake, but I think our world generally is sensitive because we generally want to live authentic lives. And I was in youth work for a long time, and I heard 
countless times, celebrities and people in positions of authority telling youth that if you want to live an authentic life, then you need to be true to yourself. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've been told that before. Maybe you've told that to other people before. Just be true to yourself. The problem with being true to yourself is that if everyone's true to yourself, it's just being true to yourself. There's no real integrity because it's just, there's no standard. If Christians are going to live authentic lives, if we're going to live lives that are true to ourselves, how are we supposed to live and how are we going to get there? Colossians chapter 1 is an encouraging passage for us to answer this question because rather than giving commands about how we should live a life that is true to God, the Apostle Paul tells the Colossian church that he's praying for them. He's telling them that he's praying for them to live a life that's true to God. And he says that the life that is true to God is a life that walks worthy of the Lord and is fully pleasing to him. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you want to live an authentic life, we need to care more about what others, more, more about what God thinks than what others think or what we think. A life that's true to God is a life that's worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to the Lord. And as Paul prayed that the Colossians would live a life that is worthy and pleasing to the Lord, so if we want to pursue a life that is true to God, we must pursue it through prayer. If you, if me, if we are going to live lives that are true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. So what I'm going to do now is read the text for us, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 14, and then we're going to learn five prayers that we can pray to learn to walk worthy of God. Five prayers that we can pray to ask help from God to live a life that's true to him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14, it says this, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So five prayers we're going to learn to pray today to learn to ask for help, to walk in a manner that's worthy of God and true to him. Here's the first prayer that we can learn to pray. Lord, help me be discerning. Lord, help me be discerning. Back of the text, if you turn your eyes to the scripture with me, Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm using the word discernment to summarize what it means to have and to pray for the knowledge of God's will and to be filled with the knowledge of God's will that has within it spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the primary request that Paul says that he's praying for the Colossian church. If we're going to live a life that is true to God, this one must be prayed first. 
There's five prayers we're learning today, but if this one isn't there, if this foundation isn't laid, the other five will be prayed fruitlessly. The other five will be built, built vainly. We must pray this prayer first if we're going to live a life that's true to God. And Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? This is a good question for Christians to ask. What is God's will? Often I think when we consider God's will, we think of like, you know, my plans for the future. We think of this or that thing. Should I go to this uh, school or that school? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? In, in Paul's letters, when he talks about God's will, he really doesn't talk about it in that way. When the Apostle Paul talks about God's will, he talks about God's will as being how we should live in light of what God has revealed to us. That's what God's will is. How we should live in light of what God has revealed to us. And the good news is that God has revealed to us his will in his word. We can know how we should live in light of what he has told us from the scriptures. And Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in a certain type of way, with a certain type of knowledge. He prayed that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does he mean by that? To know God's will with spiritual wisdom. To know God's will with understanding. I think the Apostle Paul is talking about that the knowledge that he prayed that they would have wasn't just the acquisition of information, but the application of truth in our hearts and in our lifestyle. That's what Paul prayed that they would have. And he prayed also, if you notice, the words in the scripture are so important and so encouraging. He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not just some spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not just some understanding of how I should live in light of what God has revealed to us. Being filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding means that God would comprehensively equip them with everything they need to live a life that pleases God. Isn't that encouraging? Moms and dads, if you want to know God's will for how to be a parent, God has given us all, not just some, all of what we need to be equipped for God's will. Young people, if you want to know how to be a Christian in high school, if you want to know how to live true to God in a world that isn't, he has given you all that you need. You don't need to wonder. You can know God's will. You can have the application of it to your life in such a way that it comprehensively applies to every way. And don't we need that? Because don't we, aren't we filled with paths that are sometimes confusing and sometimes that are narrow and a, a direction that sometimes is foggy and looks like we're in a void? Lord, help me. Be discerning. Discernment is this ability. This ability to scan the horizon of the way of what's in front of me and how I must live my life and to be able to decide with the knowledge of God's will what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Discernment is 
like a filter. Tell me, is this safe to drink? How could you know? There's no snow where I come two hours south of here, but apparently there's still a little snow up here. I could have crumpled up a uh, pound of dirty, nasty, brown snow in the corner of the parking lot of my hotel last night, put it in this cup and leave it to melt. I could have filled this up from the water fountain out there before the service. I could have scooped it out of the toilet in the bathroom. Discernment, when we have and are filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, discernment operates like a filter for the Christian life. It removes what's harmful and retains the good that we need. We, just like we all need to drink water, but some water is poisonous, the way that we live our lives, what we're filling in our mind, what we're desiring with our hearts, the way we're living with our actions, some of these things are poisonous and we may not even know it. Do you have discernment? If we do not have this, we cannot live, away, live in a way that is true to God. Do you have discernment or do you consume anything that our culture says is popular? Think about career and finance. How can we contribute to God's kingdom if the only goal of our life is going towards a trajectory that leads to my own comfort and retirement? Think about interpersonal relationships. How can a marriage enjoy trust and romance if you tolerate even just a little flirting at the office or the gym? Think about the entertainment industry. How can you live a life that is pure before God if you willingly watch shows and listen to music that is explicitly impure? If you have the filter of biblical discernment installed in your life, you're going to have the readiness to be able to thoughtfully and biblically test all things that you come across in the way that you live your life. But the person who lacks discernment craves and consumes anything in the popular culture without asking what effect it will have on my soul. And believe me, what you watch on HBO isn't neutral to your soul. What you watch, whether it's uh, online and you don't want anyone to see it, what you listen to, your favorite artist, these things aren't neutral. They can be poisonous. Without discernment, any desire or ability to live a life that is true to the Lord will be stunted. If you don't have it, you can't grow. If you don't have it, you can't, I can't, live in a way that is pleasing to God. But the good news is that we can ask the Lord for help. Paul prayed for these people. He we can pray for ourselves. We can pray for our marriages. We can pray for our kids. We can pray for our small groups. Lord, help me be discerning. When we have discernment, it will allow us to be able to test all things and retain the good and remove the bad so that we can make decisions and live in a way that honestly pleases and is true to God. But growing in discernment isn't like a software update for your phone. 
You know, growing into sermon isn't like putting on automatic updates and setting it on your nightstand, plugging it in, and then just having it update itself overnight. Growing in the discernment and the ability to test all things takes persistently asking for God's help, persistently asking God, is this right and honoring to you? It takes regularly reading God's word because if we don't get our minds renewed in God's word, they will be conformed to the pattern of the culture. That's what Romans 12 verse two says, right? Do not uh, be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Discernment takes persistently asking the Lord's help, regularly reading his word, and constantly testing all things. And God can supply this to you if you pursue it through prayer. So you may consider the entertainment that you're watching and the relationship that you have, and you might know that you lack discernment. And you might know that it's poisoning your walk with Christ. Put in the filter. Ask the Lord for help. Lord, help me be discerning. With this foundation, we can ask these next four prayers. With this foundation, we can ask these next four prayers and we can live lives that are true to God. So how do we do that? What other prayers can we pray? Lord, help me be discerning. And then also this, Lord, help me be fruitful. Lord, help me be fruitful. Look back at the scriptures with me, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Lord, help me be fruitful is a prayer that asks, Lord, help me have a godly productivity in everything that I do. Not just to please my boss, not just to meet work quotas, not just to get to the contract done and get to the next one. Godly productivity that bears fruit in such a way that provides good for others and glorifies God. So the Bible often compares Christian growth and Christian maturity to a healthy tree. A healthy tree that produces healthy fruit. Just as a healthy tree naturally produces healthy fruit, so a Christian who believes in Jesus and abides in Jesus naturally produces conduct that does good to others and glorifies God. That's fruitfulness. That's productivity. Imagine, wives, if your husband always came home and always did good for your family. I fall, short, fall, I fall far short of that. And I need God, God's grace to help me be fruitful. Imagine going to your small group and every small group being a productive, fruitful one. Imagine going into your job every day and your employees, your fellow employees and coworkers see you and they every day see something is different about this person. Bearing fruit in every good work. That word bearing is important. It doesn't say did bear fruit. It doesn't say was bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Presently, currently, ongoing, the trajectory and the result of the way that I live produces good and glorifies God. Now, it's not like that once I was a strong Christian, but now I am near to God and abiding in God with a discerning life and bearing fruit. 
bearing fruit in every good work. It's not just that some of our endeavors are good, but 100% of our endeavors are good. This isn't just blind optimism. God's word says that we can bear fruit in every good work. Imagine a coach of a soccer team that has a star striker. Whenever an opportunity for a penalty kick kick comes, that coach is always putting in the striker who hits 100% of his penalty kicks. Imagine a, uh, uh, a contractor who's so good at his job that he finishes 100% of his jobs on time, under budget, and exactly in the way that the client asks. That's the guy that's getting hired every time. For us, having discernment means being equipped to live a life that is true to God and has productivity that produces good for others and glory to God. That means living a life that is meaningfully impactful wherever you go. And that's something that I think our churches are hungry for. I see many churches, many people in the church that I come from, and and they don't have a love for God because they sometimes don't feel like they have a reason to pick their head up off the pillow in the morning. And at the end of the day, they get back home and put their pillow, the head back on their pillow at the end of the day and wonder, was it even worth it? What if we could live lives that you got your head off the pillow in the morning and you know there was a purpose? And you put your head back on the pillow at the end of the day, exhausted, but you know it was worth it, ready to get up again the next morning. Worth it not because you're prospering, worth it not because your bank account is solid, worth it not because other people are pleased with you, worth it not because you get your vacations, worth it because you know that you're spending yourself for the God who saved you, worth it because you know that it's producing good for your kids and good for your small group and good for your community and ultimately glory for God. That's the type of life that God wants me to live that I fall so, so short of, but I want. That's the type of life that you can live. And, and it's not a life that we can produce ourselves. It only comes when we are near to God, when we are abiding in him, when we are asking him to help us, when we are asking him to be the one who produces fruit. All we can do is be like a farmer that sows the seed. God brings the growth. All that we can do is being like a fisherman that casts the line. God brings the catch. God is the one that can bear fruit in your life, friends. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a plumber, if you're in finance or in farming, if you're a skilled mechanic or a stay-at-home mom, God is ready and wants to use you to bear fruit and meaningfully impact this church, your family, and this community. But we can't do it on ourselves. Lord, help me. Lord, help me be discerning. Lord, help me be fruitful. And here's a third prayer we can pray. Lord, help me be wise. Lord, help me be wise. I want us to notice something that can kind of be confusing in the text. Look back at the scripture with me, verse 9. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Does it seem like Paul is repeating himself? He said in in verse 9 that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. But then in verse 10, he says again that you may increase in the knowledge of God. Is Paul just like, did he forget what he just wrote? Like, you already sent me that text message, Paul. What's the next one? I think what Paul's saying is that there's a next level of knowledge that can be reached to understand and relate with God. That's wisdom. To be filled with God's will in the knowledge of God's will is one thing. But to reach the next level of increasing in the knowledge of God is another thing. And I think that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge that extends to the next level. It's a deeper sense of knowing that can only come through doing. Maybe you've tried to uh, learn an instrument one time yourself. Maybe you've tried to teach yourself the guitar. There are a lot of tutorials you can find online to play the guitar. Around Christmas time, I saw the guitar, guitar company Fender doing lots of promos and ads on social media promoting that, hey, you know, you can buy our tutorial videos and learn to play guitar. And I guess around Christmas time, they wanted people to actually buy their guitars and learn to play the guitars. But you could watch all the tutorial videos you want on how to play guitar and get all the theory of guitar playing you want. But if you don't actually buy one and build calluses on your fingers, you won't be able to play. You can get all the theory you want, but without actually picking it up and playing it, you can't reach the deeper and truer and next level sense of genuine knowledge and wisdom. Nine months is a long time to be pregnant. I haven't been myself, but my wife has, and we are expecting our second. And in nine months, you can read a lot of books on child rearing, and you can learn a lot of theory on knowing how to raise a child. But there's a sense of knowing what it is to be a parent that you cannot gain until you actually hold a child in your hands and actually have to change that diaper and get up when they're sleeping. Wisdom is a deeper sense of knowing that only comes through actually doing. I think people, Christians in churches like ours, who esteem God's word, genuinely like to consider themselves and even stand confidently on the self identifying claim that we are Bible-believing Christians. I think it's an important thing for us to be able to recognize of ourselves because, unfortunately, mournfully, there are many churches in my region and maybe in your region who are not Bible-believing churches. But having this sense of wisdom to live a life that is true to God means that it Frankly, it's not enough to be a Bible-believing Christian. We need to be Bible-doing Christians. Psalm 10, verse 14 says that God is the uh, father to the fatherless. You can know that God loves 
you as a father when you were an orphan in your sin, but there's a deeper sense of knowing God when you actually engage in orphan work and help orphans. And then you can know God's love for you in a deeper way through the doing that you couldn't know just through the knowing. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were enemies, God still loved us and sent Jesus to die for us. You can know in theory that you are an enemy of God in your sin, but there's a deeper sense of knowing God when you actually do the work of loving your neighbor who hates you. And then you recognize in a deeper way God's love for you when you were an enemy. We're commanded to pray, but do we actually spend time in solitude with God? We're told to share the gospel, but do we actually open our mouths and tell people that Jesus loves them and died for their sins and that without him they won't have a relationship with God. We're told to be hospitable, but do our neighbors actually even know our first names? This is a question that I need to ask myself too. The good news is that you can know God in this deep and intimate and personal and soul-satisfying way not just intellectually stimulating way, but a soul-satisfying way. But this deeper sense of knowing God, this wisdom, isn't just through the knowing, it's through the doing. Lord, help us be wise. Help us not only know what your word says, but help us obey in it. And help us increase in our knowledge of you, increase in our love for you, and therefore increase in our motivation to live for you and for you alone. Lord, help me be discerning. Lord, help me be fruitful. Lord, help me be wise. Here's the fourth one. Lord, help me be resilient. Lord, help me be resilient. Look at verse 10. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I don't know about you, but I can get discouraged very easily. And sometimes trying to live a life that's true to God, listen, I'm a pastor and I'm okay saying this, sometimes trying to live a life that's true to God just doesn't feel worth it. That's actually what the psalmist in Psalm 73 read. If you're feeling like following Jesus, saying no to what your friends are saying yes to isn't worth it right now, friend, you gotta read Psalm 73 because that's exactly where that guy was. He just saw everyone else prospering and, but they weren't following God and they weren't obeying his way and he was trying so hard, but why are they ahead of me and is this even worth it? And sometimes I can feel like that. Maybe you're in a trial Right now, maybe you're in a hard time through relational conflict, maybe through failing health, maybe through seeing a loved one making decisions that you know are harmful for them, or even setting your family at odds with each other, and you just feel discouraged and you just want to give up. Living a life that's true to God means enduring. And this passage says that we should pray for this being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Christian, living a life that's true to God means that we need to endure. But it's hard. 
I'm not afraid to admit that I feel it's hard myself. I'm not afraid to admit that it feels like sometimes I want to give up. And maybe that's where you are too. But you can pray and seek the Lord. Help me be resilient. And his power through you can help you endure. Like like a ship that sets sail into harbor. Set a ship that sail into harbor. You know, one of those big ships. One of those pirate ships with massive sails. Set a ship into sail at harbor, but keep its sails down. It will float back and forth, not going anywhere. Set a, set a ship into sail and lift up those sails, and you will see the ship be propelled with an energy that exists beyond its own propulsion. That's the type of vitality that you can have for the Christian life. That's of the type of resiliency that you can have through the storms. That you can be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What is that power? And how can we get that? Well, I want to invite you to turn your Bible a couple pages to the left to Ephesians chapter 1. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul defines exactly what that power is. He, in Ephesians chapter 1, says a similar prayer to a different church. You'll see the same language of strengthened with power and glorious might. But you'll see in this passage that he defines what it is. And we will see what power we can gain to be able to endure. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says... What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the great working of his might? Same language as Colossians 1, but now he defines it. According to the great working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. What is the power that will propel you through the storm? What is the power that will propel you through the confusion? What is the power that will enable you to endure through the Christian life? It's the resurrection power. It's the truth, Christian, that the living Jesus Christ in his Holy Spirit is alive in you. And that as you walk by the Spirit, you can have the vitality and the resiliency to endure through whatever may come your way. Through confusion, through trial, through personal family Conflict, the power that we need is through the resurrection and it is attained by faith and sought through prayer. Lord, help me be resilient. And what will it produce? If you pray for it, if you God grants it to you, what will it look like in your life? Colossians chapter 1 tells us, it says that you will endure with patience. No matter how hard what you're going through is, no matter how long you've been going through it, you can wait on God. And the book of Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord shall be renewed in their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not be faint. You can have patience, even if it's been weeks, even if it's months, even if it's years. You can have patience and you can have joy regardless of what you're going through. Joy is this, I'm content because I'm complete in Christ. 
Yes, my health may be failing. Yes, my kids may be off the rails. Yes, I may be through a storm. Yes, I may feel like I have no purpose. But I'm content because I'm complete in Christ. Trials come. This passage isn't saying that we're going to be escaped from the trials, but that we can be resilient through the trial. Lord, help us. Lord, help me be discerning. Help me be fruitful. Help me be wise. Help me be resilient. And here's the last prayer that we can pray if we're going to live a life that's true to God. Lord, help me be thankful. This is the will of God, the First Thessalonians says. This is the will of God that you give thanks in all circumstances. Look at the text again with me. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ultimately, God's word is telling us that we can give thanks no matter what the circumstance, because of our salvation. Because the Father has qualified us to have an inheritance. An inheritance of eternal life with God because of Christ Jesus. An inheritance in his kingdom of light because we are rescued from a domain of darkness. Thankfulness is an attitude of appreciation towards God no matter what my circumstances. And the anchor that holds us fast to thanksgiving is the knowledge that God has saved me, that he has rescued me from a dark, evil, tarnished, ugly domain of darkness because of my own sin and transferred me into a new kingdom, a kingdom of light of beauty, of purity, of goodness. A very significant historical event happened in 1989. If you're older than 1989, you probably know what it is. If you're not, you may not. In 1989, the Berlin Wall was torn down. Some of you may have like, what the heck is the Berlin Wall? After World War II, there was this big like, fight between communism and capitalism and how was the new world order going to be set up and kind of the battleground for these political ideas was Berlin. The uh, West Berlin, I believe it's West. Let me check my notes so I don't make myself look like a fool. Yeah, East Berlin, that's right. East Berlin was kind of occupied, sorry. East Berlin was occupied by the... Um, Soviet-sponsored communist government, right? West Berlin was occupied by the uh, American-sponsored capitalist government. And that uh, wall was set up in 1961. And for those 28 years that the wall was set up, the uh, East was impoverished under communism. And the West actually flourished under capitalism. And they could see over the wall. And, but in 1989, the wall was torn down. And, and the people, the German people were able to cross back and forth. And those in the east who were impoverished were no longer had to stay there. They no longer had to stay in a system that didn't work for them, but worked against them and kept them in, in rags and, and hunger. They could go into the other side and they could enjoy the prosperity of this other city under a better rule where they could actually flourish. 
That's kind of what happened for you when you became a Christian. You were in this impoverished domain of darkness, impoverished and ugly and tarnished because of our own sin, because we chose collectively to reject God and follow his good way. And we've been welcomed to follow his way in a kingdom that's characterized by light and beauty and purity. But I, so many Christians are thankless Christians because though they've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into a kingdom of light, though they've been transferred from impoverished punishment and into flourishing abundance, they're jealous of what is happening in the darkness. How can we be thankful for our salvation in Christ when we're jealous of the lives of those who don't have Christ. And maybe that's where you are right now. That's Psalm 73 again. God, other people are succeeding, but why can't I have that? Do we forget that we have been brought into the light and they're still in the darkness? We have what they should be jealous of. We have eternal life. We have relationship with the Father. We have forgiveness and assurance and freedom from shame. And they're still stuck in it, but we want their house. And we want their girlfriend. And we want the tech gadgets that they have. The black hole that comes up when thankfulness should be when thankfulness should be in our heart and it's sucked away, it's sucked through a black hole of bitterness. And if you've lost sight of who you are in Christ and you're seeing everything that this world has, you'll, you won't be able to live a life that's true to God. Lord, help me be thankful. Lord, help me give thanks that I'm forgiven every day. Lord, help me give thanks that I have your grace every day. Lord, help me know and remember that what I've left, I left because I found a treasure in you. That's what Jesus said, that the, that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the middle of the field. And when a man found that treasure, he sold everything that he had so that he could have the field. Christian, you have the treasure. You've sold everything because it's nothing to be compared with the treasure of Christ, the treasure of your inheritance. Don't be jealous of the domain of darkness. You've been welcomed in the kingdom of light. Amen. Praise God. That's right. Thank you, brother. Lord, help me. If we want to live a life that's true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. Are you pursuing it? Prayer is hard. Prayer is one of the hardest things a Christian can do, but it's also one of the naturalists, most natural. It's speaking to my father. Do you remember how you first learned to talk? Probably not. <laughs> but if you're a new parent, you might. I have a daughter who's 15 months old, and she's learning to talk, and she communicates full ideas and full sentences. None of them are in the English language. But I know she's learning to talk because I know she's watching me talk and doing her best to speak to me. Our Father has spoken to us. And he has showed us in his word and speaks to us in his word. If you want to live a life that's true to God, all you need to do is listen to your Father speak and then speak it back to him.
If you want to live a life that's true to God, then ask for the Lord's help. Lord, help me be discerning. Help me be fruitful. Help me be wise. Help me be resilient. And help me be thankful. Lord, help me. Help me is one of the most instinctive prayers that you can pray. When I was a boy up here in Muskoka, I actually almost died drowning in a kayak. And actually, the guy who saved me was the guy who was on base today, Chris. When I was a little boy, I went kayaking, and I was given a kayak uh, for a little boy, but that should have been for a big man. And they gave me one of those skirts for a kayak, not like a skirt, you know, but like the spandex covering that goes over top of the hole for the kayak is called a skirt. But little boy Jason had this big adult kayak, and uh, I went into the river with my friend, and, you know, I was young and had no fear, like a foolish boy, and my buddy turned to me and said, yo, you should flip your kayak. He's like, no, I don't want to do it, man. He's like, you should flip. He's like, okay, I'll do it, man. So I flipped, but little Jason's little arms were too small to be able to reach the edge of the skirt to release myself. And I was stuck underwater for a long time. Eventually, like this other kayak maybe or something came by me, and I was upside down, but I was able to like see that there was a, a, something there, and I reached my hand out and grabbed it and kind of was able to pull myself up. And instinctively, after taking one breath, a single word came out of my mouth. And when I cried for help, Chris Clark jumped in and saved me. And that's really what prayer is. I'm helpless. God, you are helpful. Help me. And you may feel like you need help today because you haven't been discerning or you haven't been fruitful or you haven't been thankful and you need resilience. But if you don't, aren't willing to admit you're helpless and that you are desperate for it, you'll never go to God in prayer. If you don't believe that God is helpful, you won't have the faith to seek him and ask for him. And if you don't actually say the words, help me, then he won't come to you. I'm helpless, you're helpful, help me. That's how Jesus prayed. Hebrews chapter 15 says, in the days of his flesh, with loud cries and tears, Jesus called out to the one who was able to save his soul from death, and he was heard. You want your prayers heard. You need to pray with desperation, with faith, and with honesty. I'm helpless. You're helpful. Lord, help me. And he will come to you. And he will help you so that you can live a life that is true to him. Would you stand with me now as we pray together? Father, I am in need of your help today. Thank you, Lord God, that you have saved me. God, sometimes I become so nearsighted that I'm blind. I get so focused on what's in front of me that I forget to look at life with an eternal perspective that you've saved me from my sin. Lord, help me. Help me be thankful for my salvation and Lord, I pray for my friends today, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even those maybe who do not know Christ and are considering who Jesus is. God, I pray that you would help them. 
Help them to be able to live lives that are true to you, lives that are authentic, lives that are not fake, but lives that are fully pleasing to you and worthy of your name. But we can't do this on our own, Lord God. We're tempted so frequently. We're so weak, Lord God. But you are able, Father. Help us, God. Help us because we are weak and we need you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.